Well, good morning. Thank you guys for, for being here. Um, I thought about wearing a pink shirt this morning, celebrate Barbie movie coming out. Um, but I have a hard time finding clothes that fit me. I got a weird shape. Um, so anyway, thank you for being here. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is how it's going to go today. Um, we are focusing this uh, Sunday on Genesis 20 through 21. Okay, we've got two chapters to cover. I'm going to kind of summarize one and kind of place some commentary into that. And then we're kind of di- dive deeper into chapter 21. Before so, I've got a fun little story for you. One beautiful morning, an atheist was walking through the forest admiring nature's surroundings. He looked up and saw the trees swaying in the wind high above him and smiled. He saw the river glisten and the sun twinkle like a newborn star and it made him warm inside. He thought to himself that mother nature had made a true and wonderful world. The atheist had walked a little further down the track he had taken when suddenly a bear jumped out of the bushes only a few yards ahead of him and started growling, looking hungry and ran quickly towards him. Seeing the big bear bounding towards him, he screamed in horror and started running as fast as he could away from the bear as any sane person would do. Knowing that the bear would catch up to him and he had no chance, the atheist soon ran out of breath and in a few paces fell to the ground. As the bear's shadow fell upon his face and his paws came down upon his chest, the atheist screamed, oh, help me, God. Suddenly the trees that he so much admired stopped swaying. The river he loved suddenly stopped flowing and the sky opened up and a voice began to speak, I am God. And even though you don't believe in me, I am here for every being on this earth. The atheist felt relieved a little bit and asked God, I'm sort of in this situation, obviously. I'm only asking if you can help me get out of it. God thought for a moment and said, I will give you one request to help you, and that is all. You may proceed with this request. The atheist thought upon this request for a moment, and then I spoke to God. Well, I don't really want to become a religious person, so I wish the bear would become religious himself. So God spoke, so be it done. Suddenly the sky closed up, the river turned back into its flowing glory, the trees began to sway again. The bear clapped his paws together and said, thank you, God, for this meal I'm about to receive. Uh, so that's what you get. Now, this isn't to poke fun of uh, atheism at all. You know, they, um, it's, atheist is someone who does not believe that there's a God, and they've, they've got their evidence for that. That's something that they believe in. That's a worldview. Um, it's not poking at fun of that. It's what you see here is when confronted by God, the atheist does not acknowledge him, nor does he expect the answer he receives. Despite the assumptions um, of the, uh, the atheist belief system, there was an element of faith there, albeit a faith that didn't really have very solid footing. The atheist still wanted to control the end result. So how many times in life have we uh, wanted to have faith in God? We want him to come to our rescue, but it's on our terms. That's not the definition of faith. When you place your faith in God, it is just all on him. You cannot control how God is going to work in your life. You can't do that when you put your trust in him. And so how about us this morning? Why does our faith operate like a swinging pendulum shifting back and forth from reliance on God and then reliance on ourselves? So this morning, we're going to look at a a few things from a different perspective. Uh, We are well aware that humanity's faith in God is shaky and inconsistent. Uh, We've been seeing this throughout the book of Genesis, but how does God react to this? So here's the question that we are going to answer throughout this passage is, how does God respond when our faith wavers, when we think we've blown it, um, when we were good one day and then the next day it was complete opposite, and if someone were to see you, they think, this person follows Jesus? Yeah, I don't think so. But how does God respond when our faith wavers? So let's turn to Genesis chapter 20. Genesis chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black one in front of you, the seat back or underneath your chair in the front row. 
Um, and we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 20. That's page 15 in your Bible. will give you guys a chance to, to head over there. So what we're going to do here in um, Genesis 20 is I'm actually going to read through it, and I'm going to be pausing a couple places to kind of point out some things and then kind of show the emphasis of that because there's a nice bridge into chapter 21, okay? So that's kind of the anticipation here. So let's go. Verse 1 through 2 of Genesis 20. From there, Abraham traveled to the region of the Negev and settled between Kadesh and Shur. While he was staying in Gerar, Abraham said about his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. Does that ring a bell? So King Abimelech of Gerar had Sarah brought to him. So this is after the incidents in chapter 20, Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham and Sarah come to Gerar after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and fell into the same lie. If we remember, I think it was chapter 14, maybe it was a little earlier, where they did the same thing. Abraham was afraid for his own life. Um, so he gave his wife and said, it was my sister. And then stuff happened after that. So we see the same thing happening here in these first two verses. And we'll dive in a little further, but just that's what's happening here is they've gone to a new place. Uh, Abimelech is actually more of a title than a, than a real name, kind of like how Pharaoh was. Um, and so that's the interaction that he had and we'll get into why he reacted that way here in a second. Verse three, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, you are about to die because of the woman you have taken for she is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, would you destroy a nation even though it is innocent? Didn't he himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. I did this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in a dream, the same dream, yes, I know that you did this with a clear conscience. I have also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I have not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, know that you will certainly die, you and all who are yours. So early in the morning, Abimelech got up, called all his servants together, and personally told them all these things. And the men were pretty terrified. So what we see here is God warns Abimelech in a dream about Sarah. He had no clue. Now, this is not excusing what Abimelech and what those different nations do when new people come in taking people's wives and sisters. It's not, that's not the point here. Um, we're not excusing that at all. But here we see that God is protecting Abimelech and Sarah and potentially uh, Isaac. And we'll get to that here in a moment. Verse nine, then Abimelech called Abraham in and said to him, what have you done to us? Like, how did I sin against you that you have brought such enormous guilt on me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. Abimelech also asked Abraham, what made you do this? Abraham replied, I thought there was absolutely no fear of God in this place. They will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, through uh, not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. Um, again, not... You know, that's not excusing what's going on there, but during the ancient times, that is something that is going on in this context. So when God had me wander from my father's house, I said to her, show your loyalty to me wherever we go and say about me, he is my brother. So now what we have, we have Abimelech approaches Abraham and saying, why did you, basically God just told me I'm gonna die if I did something that I didn't know I was doing that was wrong. And Abraham, he gives four excuses. The, the same Abraham that we see, be faithful, and then unfaithful, faithful, and then unfavor. There's that pendulum. There's that wavering. He gives four excuses. First, he says, um, 
I thought there was absolutely no fear of God in this place. So he assumed that God was not going before him. He assumed how these people were and was trying to get out in front of it. He also said, well, she, you know, was like my half-sister, so it's not completely a lie. So there's that whole, admitting half the truth um, is still a lie. A half-truth is a lie, and Abraham's trying to get away with it. He also blames God. He said, so when God had me wander from my father's house, when God called me back earlier in Genesis uh, to, to lead a great nation, to become a great nation, I had to wander. So the reason I'm in this position and having to lie to you about my wife being Sarah, well, that's because God made me leave my hometown. And then the fourth excuse, he says, um, so when God had me wander from my father's house, I said to her, Sarah, show your loyalty to me wherever we go and say about me, he's my brother. So now if Sarah doesn't say this, she's now being unloyal to her husband. So we see a lot of excuses going on with Abraham. Continuing in verse 14. Then Abimelech took flocks and herds and male and female slaves, gave them to Abraham, and returned his wife Sarah to him. Abimelech said, look, my land is before you. Settle wherever you want. And he said to Sarah, look, I am giving your brother, there's a little bit of sarcasm there, uh, 1,000 pieces of silver. It is a verification of your honor to all who are with you. You are fully vindicated. So we see here that Abimelech restores Sarah and offers gifts, makes it right. Uh, interesting, Abimelech is the one that's being a little more faithful in this case here. And finally, uh, verses 17, 18, then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female slaves so they could bear children. The Lord had completely closed all the wombs in Abimelech's household on account of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So here in the end, God heals Abimelech and his household. So a lot of, lot of stuff going on in that chapter. I try to provide a little bit of commentary but you're probably asking me, that's great, Brian, but so what? Okay, who cares? So what? Explain to me what's going on. So what we see here, five different things, is it would seem God's promise of Isaac as an heir was in jeopardy since Sarah is no longer barren. So for the longest time, Sarah could not have children. And then now she can. God has revealed to them, now she can have children. Now she has been taken by Abimelech um, and more than likely going to... Uh, be forced to sleep with him. And now the question could possibly come into who's Isaac's dad. And then everything that we had, everything that God had been telling Abraham and Sarah would be in question. So God protects Abimelech and Sarah's offspring well before they even knew it was needed. So God did not let Abimelech touch Sarah. In fact, um, he didn't let anybody in his household get pregnant or, or anything in that way. He closed the wombs before Abimelech even, even thought about this. So it's God is going before us and doing things before we even notice it. And we're gonna emphasize that more in chapter 21. God shows grace to Abraham, blaming him. Abimelech's penance was more toward God than Abraham to show it was God who was faithful. And then God restores Abimelech, although Abraham showed no concern for how his actions would affect others. So one of the first things that we see in this whole chapter about how does God respond when our faith wavers is he intercedes on our behalf. He intercedes on our behalf. Uh, additionally, I am, I am fairly confident, can't say with absolute certainty, that God has interceded when we had zero clue. That's, that's God's grace that even when we make mistakes and we're completely unaware of them, God is protecting us. 
I'd like to submit that God is at work way more often than we give him credit for. This isn't to say when something expected doesn't go as planned that God's hand was directly involved. And so um, there's a lot of different schools of thought on exactly how God is involved in our lives. We don't always know, um, but it's not one of those instances where every time you throw a ball up in the air and gravity takes effect that God's like catching the ball and then lowering it down to the ground. All right, God puts these things in motion. He controls them. He can intervene. I'd like to say a miracle is when God does break through those laws that he has established um, in regard to how the natural world works. Um, but it doesn't work like this. So I'm a big Pittsburgh Steelers fan. You can say woo here in the front. Yep, yeah, okay. Uh, we've had conversations about that. Uh, even though I grew up in Baltimore, <laughs> that's kind of weird. Uh, so when uh, I was in youth group, I didn't say... I was talking to, I forget where it was, one of my, my friends. Um, I, didn't, I said something to her that wasn't very kind. And I saw her reaction. And my immediate thought was, oh my gosh, Steelers are going to come down to a field goal. And God's going to move it because of the way I talked to Aaron. I'm in trouble. I thought that's how God actually worked. Um, you got to be careful with that. Because then you start coming across as this person who, you know, says, oh, this happened to your life because you sinned. We saw that in the, we see that in the book of Job. You know, when God took everything from him, they're saying, oh, this happened to you because of something else. Um, no, we, we, we cannot say that. There are natural things that happen in our life. Um, when God, you know, says, when we, when we practice wisdom or when we don't practice wisdom, um, you will die. Like, yeah, you don't take care of yourself if you you know, join a gang, like the chances are a lot of times you're going to die. It's just the natural inclination of these things. Uh, but God doesn't care about football, um, unless it's Tim Tebow, I guess. And so, <laughs> um, but anyway, <laughs> I always distract myself like this. Uh, it's just God works within a system he created to accomplish what's best for us, but more importantly, what will reveal further glory about himself. In fact, here's the neat thing about what God does. Abraham was called a prophet by God in this passage. Although Abraham was the accessory to Abimelech's brush with adultery, God then told Abimelech to go to Abraham because he's going to pray on behalf of you. Have you ever had instances in your life where God gave you an opportunity to write something that you actually wronged? Like you were the one that was an accessory to something, and now he's going to bless you and give you an opportunity of being a part of initiating that reconciliation. It's, it's, life is messy. There's a lot of gray areas, I believe. Uh, one day we're going to find out when we get to heaven uh, where we messed up, where, where we were faithful, where we're like, man, oh yeah, I completely, you know, missed that one. But God's grace is so sufficient to cover the things that we aren't even aware of because of our ignorance, because of our finiteness. And the second thing I wanted to focus on here is we see that God protects those affected by our lack of faith. God protects those affected by our lack of faith. Has there been times in your life where you have lacked faith? Uh, and again, lacking faith means basically doing something on your own terms because you don't trust God will handle it. And then you see the domino effect of that. Your lack of faith affects others. There's someone else in this story that God is looking out for. It's Abimelech. He appeared to him in a dream, prevented him from touching Sarah, affirmed his innocence, had Abraham pray on his behalf, and healed him and his household. 
And he used Abraham to do that, the very person that put Abimelech in this situation. So honestly, that's humbling. It's also encouraging that if you're going through something right now in your life where you're like, I blew it, and I've seen this, this trail of just destruction behind me, you go to God, you confess that to him, he's going to make you a part of that redemptive story. Let him do that. It's, 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 it brings so much joy. You, you sometimes have this shame and you don't want to do that. Um, but God turns shame into something wonderful. But you got to take that step of faith. Uh, I used to. I don't do it as much anymore, and maybe I should. Um, I would pray in the morning, Lord, help me not to be a jerk today. Help me not to stare longer than I should. Help me not to... Look at that person a weird way because, I don't know, they just do things differently. Help me not to be the default version of myself. Because we don't want our lack of faith to destroy others around us. And I'm sure, we've, I'm sure we're all sitting here going like, yeah, you're, you're, I'm thinking of one right now. But there's, there's, there's redemption in that. And we see that here in Genesis 21, so moving on in our story. Genesis 21, where Isaac enters the scene, and the real drama starts. The plot thickens. All right. Chapter 21, I don't know what that's from. Uh, the Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant, and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time God had said it would. And Abraham named their son Isaac. Eight days after Isaac was born, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. And Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. All who hear about this will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a baby? Yet I have given Abraham a son in his old age. So 25 years following God's promise that Abraham would be the father of a great nation... The once barren Sarah gives birth to a son. Now, there's three interesting things I want to point out here in this section of Scripture. Number one, the Lord kept his promise. 25 years. How, how often do we think God has promised something to us or we've gotten this, this confirmation from the Spirit one way or another um, and we have to wait two days and we're just like, oh, God's not going to do it. No, I'm not saying wait 25 days. And until you've done that, don't come whining to me. You know, I'm not trying to say that at all, but 25 years, that's a significant amount of time. So God, the Lord kept his promise. Second is, this happened at just the time God said, in the right timing. That is the hardest thing that I'm coming to grasp with is like the timing. For me, when <laughs> growing up, my dad's like, hey, I'll be home soon. I was like, well, what's that mean? You know, when someone says, I'll be there in a couple minutes. Um, a couple is two. Have you ever seen a couple? A dating couple, it's two. A couple, a few, a couple minutes is two minutes. I'm pretty literal. Uh, it frustrates a lot of people in my life, and I apologize. Um, but very specific on time. So soon, uh, I'm, I'm just around the corner. I'm like, you're getting in your car. You know, you're not around the corner. So people talk differently. Um, but for us, we think we know the appropriate timing of when God should work. We do. Uh, and we can be frustrated when it doesn't work out the way we, we want it to. Um, uh, that, that's okay. Being frustrated is Okay but understanding it's going to happen in God's timing. And don't try to guess it. Sometimes I try to get ahead of God, you know, like, 
<laughs> this is relevant. He's like, you know, the Lord's going to bring you someone by Brian when you least expect it. So I'm like, ha I'm not going to expect it. <laughs> and then it'll happen. But it's like, no, I'm expecting it by saying I'm not going to expect it. You know, you can't get ahead of God. Um, God things are going to happen in God's time. And the third thing I see is we would have to say to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a baby. Who would have that say that Sarah would nurse a baby? That's what Sarah said a lot. Um, God did. God said it. God said it. So what, what, what should we expect when God says something? It'll, it'll come to fruition. Maybe not the way we think it should, um, but it will come to fruition. So what we find here, the third thing that we find in how God responds when our faith wavers is God stays central in our story. God stays central in our story. He is involved in our story. Um, anything that God does is not a coincidence. Now, I do believe coincidences are a thing. Um, I've got four here for you that will kind of blow your mind. In 2011, a meteor hit the home of a French family with the surname of Comet. <laughs> John Wilkes Booth's brother, John Wilkes Booth, the one who shot President Abraham Lincoln, his brother Edwin saved the life of Abraham Lincoln's son, Robert, from falling on the train tracks. In 2001, two 10-year-old girls named Laura Buxton released and found the same red balloon. So Laura Buxton released this red balloon, wrote on it, said, please return to Laura Buxton. Then Laura Buxton found it, but it was a different one. Uh, they ended up meeting each other. And when they met, they found out that not only did they look alike or have some of the same... Um, uh, interests. They both had three Labrador uh, dogs, uh, a bird, and a hamster, and they both brought hamster to the meeting. Um, what are the odds of this happening? Uh, now, you might think, and Brian, you're lying. Uh, this was on the internet, so it's absolutely the truth. Um, and then finally, Finnair, Finnair, Flight 666, <laughs> flew from Copenhagen to Halinski, whose uh, airport code is H-E-L, so flew from Copenhagen to Helensky Hell on Friday the 13th. Um, and so these are coincidences. And we're like, this is baffling. Is this true? But I think deep down inside, we're like, okay, yeah, that, can, that is, might not be probable, but it's possible. Sure, sure. So why is it that these coincidences aren't just like, they're really cool, but we don't doubt them for a second? Some of you might. But a lot of times we don't doubt them for a second. Um, yet we have a God who, I mean, does immense things for us, for this world, creator of the universe. And when he says he'll do something straight up, we don't believe him. We don't believe him. Our faith begins to waver. See, the God that we serve is one who pursues a personal relationship with his enemies, turns them into his friends, as in, and is intentional in all his interactions with them. And we begin to see this in verses 8 through 11, where we'll turn our attention now. When Isaac grew up and was about to be weaned, Abraham prepared a huge feast to celebrate the occasion. But Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham, and her Egyptian servant Hagar, making fun of her son Isaac. So she turned to Abraham and demanded, get rid of that slave woman and her son. He is not going to share the inheritance with my son Isaac. I won't have it. This upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was his son. So approximately three years have passed when this weaning feast is held. Basically, weaning during this time, 
um, a child born age zero to three was still very, very susceptible to death. Don't have all the modern things that we have today. And so you even think about, is, was there possibly some doubting in people's minds as far as like, okay, yes, God, Isaac has been born, but we still have to get through these three years of this weaning period. That's why there was such a great celebration here. So sometime during this celebration, Ishmael scoffed or mockingly laughed at either Isaac or the fact that this, maybe in his mind, this little punk is going to become the heir after all these years. Um, keep in mind, Ishmael is probably around 13 years old at this time. Or no, 13-year-olds is separating these two, so he's 16. But Sarah noticed the scoffing, and she did not like it. Um, and she commanded Abraham to get rid of his slave woman and her son. So she can't even say Hagar. She can't even say Ishmael, the slave woman and her son. Now, this directive from Sarah truly troubled Abraham. Yes, being yelled at family members, members or anything is not, is not fun. It's not pleasant. But Ishmael was still Abraham's son. Dylan had mentioned, um, I think it was a couple, couple weeks ago, that Abraham thought that this was going to be the heir. Like, Isaac had not been born. Uh, Sarah was still barren. So he's like, okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll sleep with Hagar, and Ishmael will be my son. Uh, this whole Isaac person or Sarah having a baby, I have heard nothing about it in a long time. Again, 25 years. Not 25 years, not since the announcement, but more or less like since God uh, called Abraham. And so he very well thinks Ishmael is going to be this heir. Now he knows it's not. He still created this bond between them. So there's this bond here, and his wife doesn't care for it. Continuing in verse 12. But God told Abraham, do not be upset over the boy and your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you. For Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. But I will also make a nation of the descendants of Hagar's son, because he is your son too. So Abraham got up early in the morning, prepared food in a container of water, and strapped them on Hagar's shoulders. Then he sent her away with their son, and she wandered aimlessly in the wilderness of Beersheba. So despite Sarah's anger and Abraham's disappointment, God steps in. We see this action from God over and over and over again in Scripture. While we often wonder why God takes so long, he may seldom be early, but he is never late. In fact, what we are about to see this very important point is that God provides for the neglected. God provides for the neglected. When the water was gone, verse 15, she put the boy in the shade of a bush. Then she went and sat down by herself about 100 yards away. I don't want to watch the boy die, she said, as she burst into tears. But God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven, Hagar, what's wrong? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there, Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. Then God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well full of water. She quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy as he grew up in the wilderness. He became a skillful archer, and he settled in the wilderness of Paran. His mother arranged for him to marry a woman from the land of Egypt. So things were not looking, they were looking pretty rough for Hagar and Ishmael. They are wondering, they're, they're wondering their resources have been depleted, Ishmael is on the verge of dying, and Hagar is absolutely sobbing uncontrollably. However, verse 17 says, but God heard the boy crying. This is pointing us back to when Hagar was once again banished and alone, and God reached out to her. It's where Hagar called God El-Rohi, the God who sees me or hears me. God provided water at just the right moment. Things improved. Ishmael grew up, became a skilled archer, and married an Egyptian woman. So Hagar and Ishmael, according to in the courts of Abraham, were neglected. Were neglected because earlier 
Abraham and Sarah try to put things into their own hands. So we see this byproduct of Hagar and Ishmael and like, they don't, they don't deserve this. What's their part in this story? But God takes care of the neglected. And at this certain level of encouragement, but also some humility is like, if you had a moment in your life where your lack of faith, when it wavered, affected someone else, make it right, but understand that God's, you might've forgotten those people you affected, but God hasn't. And you can rest in that. It's humbling, but you can rest in that. Now, just wanting to summarize the last chapter of this uh, verse, because it's really really hits home on how we can make sure that we don't allow our faith to waver. In verses 22 through 34, this passage of uh, scripture looks kind of out of place. This just doesn't really fit. But again, those, uh, as Pastor Dylan has said, those, um, those headings are not God-inspired. They're there to help us out. So what we see here is Abimelech, which is probably more than likely a different one from the previous one. Some years have passed recognizes that God is with Abraham. The two, along with their commander, um, along with Abimelech's commander, introduce a pact or a treaty as neighbors. Before doing so, however, Abraham has some unfinished business to take care of. All right, again, I'm just summarizing this, these last uh, 12 verses. Unbeknown to Abimelech, some of his servants had seized a well that Abraham dug. This may seem kind of petty, um, <laughs> but wells were an integral plot to those with lots of livestock and property. If you don't have water nearby, everything is gonna die. It's basically the life source for all who dwell. So seeing as this was the first time Abimelech was hearing of this incident, Abraham showed grace and gave him some of his animals as a treaty. Abraham then went further and gave him seven female lambs as sort of a compensation for losing the well. After settling things with Abimelech and his commander, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree at Beersheba, the place where he and Abimelech made their treaty, meaning well of the oath. So there are two things to observe here. Beersheba is a significant location in Israel's history. Uh, Isaac dug this well again and built an altar, altar, altar. <laughs> uh, in Genesis 26. Abraham's grandson, Jacob, which we'll eventually get to, uh, stopped in Beersheba as he left the promised land. Samuel's sons were judges in Beersheba. King Saul fortified Beersheba during his battles. And the prophet Elijah found refuge in Beersheba when Jezebel ordered him killed. Beersheba is where Abraham worshiped the Lord, calling him everlasting God, or better yet, enduring God. I'm making a distinction there because everlasting points to God being eternal. No beginning, no end. Enduring God means he endures with us despite what we do. It's that patience, it's that longevity. He is patient over his people. And the second thing is he plants a tamarisk tree, uh, which takes a long time to grow. So basically what this is, this is a remembrance. This is a token of Abraham saying, everything that you've done here, despite my lack of faith, this tree is going to take forever to grow because I know this is going to be the land that you have given us and I'm going to be able to be here and watch this tree grow. And it's going to be a constant reminder. So ultimately, how does God respond when our faith wavers? We've seen um, he, he protects other people who have been affected. Um, he, he protects the neglected. But ultimately, God reminds us of his promises. When our faith wavers, and again, why does our faith waver? A lot of times it's like, because you've forgotten what God is like. You've forgotten what God's done in your life. That's why your faith uh, wavers. So when it does, God reminds us of 
his promises. Um, to get real personal, um, real quick, I was commissioned to teach um, at a Christian university in South Korea. This is probably 2009. Um, so I was living in Oklahoma with my brother, and then I came back here to get some stuff, and then I went back to Maryland because we had some paperwork we had to get figured out. And so I was there waiting for about a month to, to ship out. I met, uh, I wouldn't say I met a girl, I kind of re-met or rekindled a friendship with a girl there that I should not have. Um, just, just stupid. Um, but when I, when I flew to South Korea, my heart was so much stuck in Maryland. I, did, I, could, not, I could not teach properly. Um, I was only there for two and a half months, and it was supposed to be a full year. I, it's, it's, this isn't fun to talk about. But um, I left in the middle of the night. Didn't tell anybody. Um, I had a friend pay my, my airplane ticket. Um, my faith was def definitely wavering. Uh, perhaps not even there. And so I, I flew into Florida um, to meet her and her family because they were there vacationing. Got back to Maryland, and um, my, my parents did not approve. Um, it wasn't so much of a, like, this is a terrible person. It's just like, Brian, like this, this is not, you're not in the right mindset doing this. This is not, um, you're not being very obedient to the Lord right now. Um, so I came home, and I didn't have a job. I didn't have a car. I didn't have any money, and I didn't have a place to stay. Um, and so me and... Um, me and her, she, we were going to move in together because that was going to be convenient, as a lot of times we say. Um, there was more to it than that. Um, and then she, <laughs> then she broke up with me. So this isn't a soft story. It sounds bad. But she broke up with me. And then I actually uh, spent some time praying and fasting just to see about what my future holds. What, you know, I'd been to seminary. Um, it just, just goes to show you, I had just graduated seminary. I go to South Korea to teach at a Bible, a Bible college. I leave early. I'm dating someone I shouldn't wanting to live with her, now <laughs> I'm, I'm fasting and praying. Can you kind of see what God allows to happen in our lives? Is that you can't mess anything up. Ultimately, you can hurt other people. You can have regrets. Sometimes consequences follow you the rest of your days. But as far as Jesus and what he has for you, what God has for you, redemption is always possible. We see that in Abraham, he's the one that pushed Abimelech, hey, this is my sister, sleep with her. And then Abraham's the one who restored him by praying for him. So for all of this stuff, I went and had some time of, of, of prayer and fasting because I'm like, Lord, what do, you, what do you have of me? I went to seminary. You know, I was being called to the ministry. Then I wasn't called to the ministry. Then I was being called to the ministry. Well, I mean, 17 years later, I'm <laughs> standing here trying to preach um, after fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting. It wasn't 25 years, 15. <laughs> um, but that was my own doing. That was my own doing, being obedient. And when I had uh, rightfully just talked to my parents and really just um, shared with them, just repenting, sorry that I, because this family went to my dad's church. He was a pastor. So I imagine, imagine this position this puts him in. I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking about me. And that Christmas, uh, I still have it to this day. My father found this, this nice uh, golden compass. And he gave it to me for Christmas. And he inscribed Isaiah 30, 21 on it when it says, whether you go to the right or whether you go to the left, always hear that voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And the reason the compass is so important is because the compass always what? It always points due north. And so if, as long as I was always focused on what God would have, it seems a little cheesy. North, God, yeah. Um, like God lives in the North Pole. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Santa does. Um, so... <laughs> When I talk about my personal stories and I get uncomfortable, I crack jokes, just so you know. Um, 
but it's inscribed, and it's just this token that I have to remind me of not so much, Brian, don't mess up again. It's not a focus on me. It's like, look where you were, and look where God brought you and all the people you have impacted along the way. Whether you felt justified or treated unfairly, how did you make it through when your faith wavered? Did God show up at the right moment, or was it not until later that you saw how he was involved? I want to encourage you to perhaps make it a habit of signifying moments when God came through uh, in your life with maybe a token or a journal entry. In fact, uh, scripture, as the band comes up on the stage, um, as, in fact, scripture is riddled, riddled with memories and memorials of how God moved, no, most notably, the manger, the cross, and the empty tomb. These are the tokens that God has left us with.